Right, good morning everybody. This is a slightly chilly, very sunny kind of autumn morning, which are my favourites. And I think if I didn't, wasn't coming up this morning, I probably would have taken the time to enjoy it a little more. I was a little bit mortified that I had agreed to speak in front of all of you, your lovely, you know, enthusiastic faces on a Sunday morning. If they get a little blank throughout this um, message, that's okay. I'm very used to talking to the youth who... Often it's quite a blank slate sometimes, but as, your parent, as their parents, I'm sure you're all quite aware of that. So I had um, been planning to plan this for a long time. I think, well, I hope this is normal. It'd been in my diary for weeks. Start writing the message. Start writing the message, and then life gets busy, and things happen, and then suddenly it's the week of, and you're like, I have not written that message. And I was worrying about this, but then Bo told me this morning that often when he opens up Kirk's PowerPoints, the PowerPoint has been created on the Sunday morning. So that makes me feel a lot better about this message, to be honest. (laughs) So this slightly chilly, rather sunny Sunday morning is the 25th of April, which, as you all are aware, marks the day that we commemorate the service, sacrifice and lives lost of our Australian and New Zealand military personnel, Anzac Day. A day when people gather across our nation, neighbouring countries and international allies to pause and remember the lives that were laid down in service or ultimately death by the Anzacs. And so when Kirk asked me if I would fill one of the preaching spots in April, which was a little while ago, maybe about a month or two ago, I had a message that had been on my heart for a couple of weeks prior to that, and I thought, well, I can speak on that, that works. Um, And it was, what does a life laid down mean for us as followers of Jesus um, in our day-to-day life? And I only put two and two together that today was Anzac Day on Thursday. (laughs) So that works quite well, and I think it just um, highlights what a terrific planner God is and what a, you know, not-so-terrific planner I potentially am. (laughs) So to kind of signpost this message, I'm going to take us back to Jesus on the cross and his life laid down for us and our salvation, and then go into our new beginning and discuss the implications this has in terms of our life being laid down um, as we follow Jesus. So let's start with Jesus. Let's take our minds back to a couple of weeks ago with our church family sitting down at Bullocky's Rest on Good Friday as we pondered and thought about the day that Christ very willingly poured out his life for us for you and me, and resetting our lives towards a trajectory that was eternal life in heaven, a new beginning. Jesus willingly went to the cross, breathing his last breath as he flung open the gates to heaven for those who believed in him. Um, and I also didn't have a PowerPoint prepared, so I'm going, there's a few scripture verses in here, and if you want to open your Bibles, you can. I just keep them open. There's a few to go through, but I'll just read them as well. So John 10, verse 17 to 18. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. 
Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the sheep and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So this verse obviously talks about Jesus laying down his life for us. And then when Jesus was finished with the whole defeating death part of the crucifixion, he rises from the dead on the third day, Resurrection Sunday, and proceeds to commission the disciples to do this work in the earth with his people. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So in this, Jesus is telling us, you now going and you're continuing my work in the earth. Now I'm asking you to lay down your life for, you know, my children on the earth. 2 Corinthians 5 goes on to say, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation." that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting the people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had not no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus is asking us to be his ambassadors on the earth, which is a huge huge thing. We, he's literally asking us to go out and do his work exactly as he was doing it to bring his children back to him. It's an honor, but it's an honor that holds a bit of weight, I think. So Jesus asks us to live a life that reflects the heart and character of God. And this is where I pause because how on earth did God, the creator of the universe, all-knowing, all-understanding, assume or even think possible that someone as sinful and broken and human as I, and I imagine a couple of you as well, could ever give reflecting the heart and character of Christ a good go without making an absolute mess of things. It's a bit of a, I'm like, come on, Jesus, it could have been a bit of an easier task. So, Ephesians 4, I'm going to start at the beginning of Ephesians 4 and then kind of jump through a little bit. Ephesians 4 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Like, that's huge. Worthy of this calling we have received. That's really hard to do, in my opinion. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with another in love. So this goes on to kind of say what that worthy calling is, what we should be doing. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Then we jump forward a little bit to the end of Ephesians 4. And this continues to kind of talk about what that worthy life means or what it looks like. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. A little bit difficult sometimes. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, must, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need." Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are settled for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave you. Like, that's a lot. Do we... Pretty, pretty huge. So before we get a little like, oh my gosh, it's not good, let's just flesh out what this means. What is it to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, reflective of the Son of God, of the heart of God? So Jesus asks us to live a selfless life, serving and honouring God through every aspect of our life, allowing our gifts and talents to reflect his heart, and all the while ensuring that our interactions with those around us people we come into contact with demonstrate his love and heart for them at all times well yikes (laughs) looking a little bit grim because it may just be me but I don't think I do all these things all the time we'll start at the beginning so selflessness I'm certainly not selfless all the time in fact just this morning I got up went into Tashi's room got her up went downstairs left I didn't even think that my mom was like coming I didn't even pause to consider that she had potentially mentioned that she was coming this morning we just left without her I didn't even didn't even think about it I was just thinking of myself and that I needed to get to church I needed to wake up my sister so that she could come as well that was the only thing that was running through my mind so already before that was before 8 a.m I'd crossed that one off so it wasn't looking good And then there are absolutely aspects of my life which do not honour God all the time. And I'm 100% guilty of allowing my own assumptions and feelings obscure my understanding of the Father's love with those I interact with. On a daily basis, I let me take over rather than what God is thinking about that person so often. And then even where my gifts and talents are concerned, which, you know, is something that I like to think, if I consider at least my university studies, I like to think that they are reflecting the heart God has for his people and for healing. But I often let pride come into that for me, and that is not of the Father or of his heart. 
So, you know, that's another issue, really. <laughs> Heidi Baker wrote, thankfully, God is not looking for extraordinary, exceptionally gifted people, just laid-down lovers of Jesus who will carry his glory with transparency and not for themselves. And I think this really takes us back to the grace that, you know, is for us and was a reason that Jesus went to the cross in the first place. Our failures really serve as a path to the abundance of God's grace. And, you know, even though we might not get those things right all the time, if we turn our sights back to God, repent, you know, I think he's pretty happy for us then to continue carrying his cross through the earth. So that's a good thing. And so now that we've, you know, kind of covered Jesus' laid down life and how we can, although we mess up, turn our hearts back to that, what does this mean for our life laid down? So in 1 John 3 verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So I want everybody to close their eyes, please. Nice and closed, nice and tight. That's great. All right, I need you to imagine yourself as a piece of wood. So you're about 10 centimeters thick and you're five meters long. You're, you know, a pretty steady piece of wood, just for the record. Trista, I can see your eyes open, close them. All right, now, keeping those eyes closed, I need you to imagine that you are standing, so the piece of wood that you are is standing, on one side of a canyon. And the opposite ledge is approximately four meters away, so if you can do some simple maths, you can reach that distance. Now, you lower yourself, the piece of wood, to the ground, and you slide your piece of wood to bridge that gap. Alrighty, you can open your eyes. Jesus commissioned us to go and continue the good work in all the earth, to lay down our life um, around us, just as he laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life to bridge an incredibly vast canyon, far greater than five meters, that was separating a life with the Father and a life without the Father. If everything we mentioned before about the characteristics of Jesus and hence what he asks of our life to be is true, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that when Jesus asks us to lay down our life for him, he's asking us to lay down our lives next to his, which has already been laid down, and continue bridging that gap between a life with Jesus and a life without Jesus. Perhaps importantly, when we consider the incredibly human, incredibly earthly aspects of ourselves that we know just don't quite make that distance all the time, we realise that it's not about always reaching the other side of the canyon and that God recognises that sometimes we fall short and that's where grace comes in. However, we are asked to get back up, dust off our plank of wood, set our sights back on that of Jesus and his life laid down next to us, and set ourselves back up to cross that ravine. Now, I want to highlight here before I go on that despite constructing the bridge, we are not held responsible by God for the individual choices of those we come into contact with who may or may not get on the bridge and climb on over. I'll just hold that there. So Romans 10 verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? So that's saying, you know, we need people who are sharing the word of God, who are sharing their Christ story with the people around them. 
Then Revelation 3 verse 20 makes it very clear that it is a choice. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That person has to open the door. We can put all the information in front of them, but they have to physically open that door. So anyway, I'll continue now. So you've accepted God as your Lord and Savior and your life is laid down next to Jesus. Your plank of wood is on the ground. You're bridging that gap and you're feeling pretty steady. So some people are going to run across your bridge. Whether it's a sprint or a jog is irrelevant. They see the good news and they move toward it quickly. And these people then set up their own bridge and they put that down next to yours. Other people are going to get on that bridge, jump up and down like a child for a little bit. They're going to potentially dislodge some of your firm foundations, but they will actually get to the other side as well. And then they will lay down their bridge. But, you know, these ones are a bit rough during the time, but they get there. Other people are going to stand on your bridge for a very long time. This can be years, could be decades. They've heard the good news. They've considered it. They're like, hmm, this is kind of cool. They just haven't made those steps to actually cross to the other side. And these people can really exhaust us sometimes, I think. We're like, we're praying for them every day. We talk to them once a week about Jesus. And it's just not happening. And I think it's important with these people to remember that it's God's will that these people will choose to make these steps, but he has given them a choice. And he asks us to love them while they're standing on our bridge. And if they take steps off or take steps forward, we love them through that. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, so give that to God. Pray to him about these people, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So other people will walk halfway across your bridge, freak out, because the bridge is a little higher or a little different to something they've done before, and they're just going to turn right back. And these people Jesus will pursue with his love and acceptance, and similarly, he asks us just to pray and love them through that. Some people are going to get angry that there's a bridge there in the first place. Some people are going to come and shake your bridge before they even hop on it. These are the people or things that cause us to turn away from those things that Jesus, you know, wanted for us in our life as a laid down follower of Jesus. They cause us to be selfish, to participate in things that don't honour or serve God and to let our hearts become cold to those around us. They're shaking our bridge, shaking our foundations. And lastly, there are sometimes people who really don't, you don't love who are going to approach your bridge and you're like, man, why couldn't they have found a different bridge? Like, really, Jesus? And I think we can all probably relate to this in some way or aspect. And you're like, now I've got to work through all the hurt between us before I can actually let them cross this bridge. And Jesus makes a really fantastic example of how we should treat these people. In Romans 5 verse 8, he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in John 15 verse 12, my command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. I think when it comes to these people in particular, we need to remember that our Father is the ultimate weaver, writer, artist, and mapper. He is the creator. And he has a plan for these people's lives. And whether or not it involves us or not, we just need to trust his timing and love them in the meantime, no matter what sacrifices that requires of us and the hard work that we have to do to do that. 
So my question to you today is this. Is your plank of wood bridging the gap between a life with Jesus and a life without? Is your prayer life encouraging people across that bridge? Are people approaching your bridge in some capacity? Are they running across, hanging around a bit, asking questions? Or has your bridge slipped at the foundations a little bit? Have we started skimping on prayer and neglecting the word? I think sometimes this can almost seem a little bit fun, like, a, oh, it's a bit of a change of routine. But in that, we pay in shallowness, in powerlessness, in vulnerability to sin, preoccupation with superficial relationships, and ultimately a frightening loss of interest with the spirit. And of course, living a life laid down is not just opening the word and praying a couple of times a day. Living a life laid down is following Christ and dying to yourself. It is throwing away the worldly things that tempt us and it is being so different to everyone else that we are an alien to the world. It's turning the other cheek when people persecute us, understanding that they only hate us because they do not yet know the love of Christ. It's throwing our lives into God's hand and kneeling at his feet no matter how hard it gets, no matter who is at your bridge shaking at the foundations. It is living the life that God has called into us into in his word, that which we have kind of discussed today. Living a life laid down is waking each morning knowing that God loves you and that the way that we can love him back is to live a life for him. Jesus willingly went to the cross and laid down his life with his final breath to give us life. So I think it seems only fitting that as people who have accepted God into their life, that our every breath should really reflect a life laid down, what we've discussed today, so that others can too know Christ.